Welcome to Riffs on Riffs, where we explore the surprising connection between songs past and present and discuss the fascinating stories that make music a universal language. I'm Joe Watson. I'm here with my co-host, Toby Braswell. What is up, my friend? Nothing much, man. Just living in a quarantine paradise. Wasn't that a, wasn't that a Stevie Wonder song? <laughs> quarantine paradise? Or, no, not quite, buddy. But it was, it was close. I mean, you know me, man. I'm always trying to find the silver lining in some of the tough situations that life tosses at you. And one thing that has been good about all of this is the time that I've been able to spend with my family and all of the conversations that have made us a better family. Totally agree with that. You know what? I have found that if done correctly, Mm -hmm. quarantine life can be a thing of beauty. At least, you know, some of the time. (laughs) Right. But trust me, I'm going as stir-crazy as the rest of you. But the family time that you speak of is also what inspired this episode. Right you are. So my son Shiv and my wife were discussing lyrics from a children's song that they took really special notice to. And they suggested that having us talk about some of the weirdest children's songs and their history would make for a really good episode. Well, after doing some research, we realized that there are a lot of creepy kids songs out there which is crazy because we all know that words have power. It's somewhat mind-boggling to me that we let these lyrics just fly right under the radar. Especially if our children are singing them, right? Right. (laughs) It's kind of crazy. All right, so where do you want to start? You want to do a little uh, itsy-bitsy spider? You know, I'll tell you what. That poor spider was as tortured (laughs) as that. You remember that old Greek dude that had to push a rock up a hill for like all of eternity? You mean uh, Sisyphus, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. so, So, So how? Explain. Well, okay. I want to just review the lyrics here to It's a Bitsy Spider. We've got a spider. It's climbing, Mm -hmm. right? Making progress. (laughs) Then what happens? Rain comes down, washes it out. Then the sun dries the rain, rinse and repeat. He's got to climb all over again. This sounds terrible. It, It does. It sounds like you're not getting anywhere. You're fighting. And just when you think things are going well... Everything just falls apart. It's almost like a bad year of marriage, right? It's it's almost like a metaphor for 2020. (laughs) Right, right, right. That's perfectly it. Well, let's leave Charlotte and her web out of this episode. Okay, let's not talk about any spiders. I don't want this to somehow become a repeating tragedy. Let's instead start with a song that shares a name of one of the songs from a group that we discussed in an earlier episode, Pop Goes the Weasel. All right, so this time we are not going to reference the third bass song that dissed Vanilla Ice? No, no, not this time. I'm actually talking about the nursery rhyme that came before that. The one that goes, all around the mulberry bush, the monkey chased the weasel, the monkey stopped to pull up his sock, pop goes the weasel. Thanks for singing that, buddy. No problem, man. Let me say this before you get started, because I know you've got stuff to say. What person do we know that is willing to A, buy a monkey, purchase a monkey, raise a monkey, <laughs> and then B, dress it with socks. And then C, where do you get the socks for a monkey? I got to know. I need somebody to text me, call me. Yeah, I need to know. Because I looked on Amazon, they don't have them. Well, here's the other thing. I think if you're going to buy a monkey, you're going to put it in socks. Apparently, you already <laughs> own a weasel, right? right. So you're just going gonna to let it run around and chase the weasel. Like, there's a whole ensemble going here that I don't yeah, know what's a, happening. It's a lot of questions it's that need to be asked. a lot of questions. <laughs> well, so that is the version that we are familiar here in the States, right? But the original British version of this rhyme, it's got a totally different meaning from a weasel getting chased by a monkey in socks. <laughs> right. So the original lyrics go like this. I'm not going to sing it because, you know, it's just I'm embarrassed trying to put oh, my hush, voice next to yours. hush. A penny for a spool of thread, a penny for a needle, half a pound of tuppany rice, half a pound of treacle. 
So these lyrics definitely paint a different type of picture once you do the research. So the term pop was actually slang for pawning, and the term weasel was actually a word that meant coat. Now, in summation, this song is about going through hard times and having to pawn one's clothes in order to buy necessities. Yeah, that's rough, man. Man. So Pop Goes the Weasel was written in the 1700s, but other than just the title, it was originally just a song with no lyrics. Those came later, but amazingly enough, there was a specific set of dance moves that people did for the song. Oh, this is <laughs> fantastic. <laughs> I knew this would make you happy. This is fantastic. <laughs> so I read up on those, right? And I will have an instructional video on YouTube to show everyone just how to do it. And once this coronavirus is over, I cannot wait to break this dance out at the next First Friday party. Oh, my God. Oh, boy. All right. Excited. Well, yeah, this is one of those times that I'm just happy we are in virtual reality. But if anyone is interested in joining my hip-thrusting friend and wants to learn the moves for this dance, they can be found at the Library of Congress. Or Amazing. Or just, just check YouTube for Toby's instructional video. But can we please now just move on? So this next song that we're going to talk about is dedicated to my lawn and the knockout roses around my house that have been taking a severe beating with all of this sun. Yes. So you must be talking about this little infamous nursery rhyme. It goes like this. It's raining. It's pouring. The old man is snoring. He bumped his head on the back of the bed and he couldn't get up in the morning. So although this nursery rhyme was included in the Mother Goose Nursery Rhymes, published in 1912, one of the earliest versions of this song was actually recorded in 1932 by a folklorist named Herbert Alpert. What? Wait, <laughs> Herb Alpert recorded It's Raining, It's Pouring? Was this, was this like the B-side of Rise? No, 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 not Herb Alpert. Herbert Halpert. Totally different guy. Totally okay. different guy. <laughs> you, you, you do see where I'm coming from here, though. <laughs> You're not crazy, my friend. Okay, You're not right. crazy. I know I had to read it twice myself. <laughs> though if Herb Alpert had recorded it as a B-side, it probably would have went straight to number one because that's what happens to all of the B-sides that we talk about on this show. Which is also why my next album was only going to have B-sides. Straight to the top. Straight to the Straight top. Straight to the top. <laughs> well, before we get back to It's Raining, It's Pouring, and take another look at those somewhat worrisome lyrics, we're going to take a quick break, and we'll return with more Riffs on Riffs in just a moment. Hey, this is Dewey Halpas, host of Peer Pleasure on the Sound Talent Media Podcast Network. Join me each week as I explore another long-form conversation with one of your favorite musicians, actors, comedians, or creatives. From Chino Moreno of the Deftones, John Gorley of Portugal the Man, to Fat Mike from No Effects, and Ian Mackay from Fugazi and Minor Threat, we go all over the map. From Fallout Boy to Slayer, Peer Pleasure has it all. Check us out now on Sound Talent Media. And we are back with Riffs on Riffs. So, Joe, I'd like to take another look at the lyrics for It's Raining, It's Pouring. Now, one meaning of the song could be that this man was sleeping and then bruised his head by trying to get out of the bed and needed time to recover. Okay, so we got that. That's option one. Okay, option A. I like okay. that one. That one's, that one's okay. Another interpretation of this song is that he hit his head so hard that he died Whoa. due to the injury. <laughs> 
<laughs> so not only did he not get up that morning, but he didn't get up any more mornings after ever. that. I mean, that was it, ever. Man, that got dark real quick. Okay, well, both interpretations are believable, but it does... <laughs> look, I've got more questions, Toby. <laughs> so if someone heard him snoring, right. would they, wouldn't they also hear him bumping his head? And, you with, yes. Right? Does anyone care enough about this poor man to come to his aid? Where, where's his wife in all of this? This all just seems really, really suspicious. I agree. I agree. And, and in fact, this song is to me is like an early precursor to the commercial for the, like, the, the life alert system, right? <laughs> right? I've fallen, hit my head, and can't get up. I've these fallen, type, I you know, exactly. You remember all of those, oh, right? Heck yeah. Yeah. So these type of situations, they, they remind me of what they always tell you in airports, right? You see something. Say something, <laughs> like, right? Okay, so or if you hear something, say something. Right. Regardless, whatever, whenever something's crazy going on, maybe report it. Maybe if you saw a cradle fall out of a tree, right? <laughs> I guess. Okay. The first more question questions. I have, right? Is, <laughs> more questions. Why is there a cradle in a tree in the first place? Is this really the best way to rock a baby? Like, are your arms too tired? Why are we putting this whole thing in a tree? This seems like a lot of work. Well, let's go through the lyrics. Rock-a-bye, baby, on the treetop. When the wind blows, the cradle will rock. When the boat breaks, the cradle will fall. And down will come, baby, cradle and all. Yeah. Be careful, man. You're going to put me to sleep. That's beautiful. <laughs> Thanks, man. Appreciate it. Back to these lyrics. Right? Yeah, right. So it's, uh, in spite of your beautiful voice, it's easily one of the creepiest nursery rhymes. So it's like creepy. Chucky wrote it or something. <laughs> Man, I remember taking a hard look at this song right after our son, Shiv, was born, right? So parents to newborns, you guys know what I'm talking about. I mean, yes. you are so careful and make sure that the baby is well taken care of at all times. This song is a nightmare put to a pretty melody. That is, <laughs> that is what this song is. Well, it's certainly a popular tune that a lot of people have discussed over the years as being creepy. There are a lot of theories surrounding the origin of the song. One of them is that it originated back in the 17th century by Englishmen observing how Native American women rocked their babies to sleep in birchwood cradles suspended in trees. Again, questions, but okay. And I can answer one of those questions right now. Let me tell you this. So if someone were to do that now, okay, it would be a very, very quick call to children's services. I mean, like <laughs> a very quick call. So for all of you people looking for a way to pass your time during quarantine, birchwood cradles suspended from a tree in your backyard should not be your next do-it-yourself project. Yeah. That um, is for sure. People, please stick with the knockout roses. You know, there's another theory that the song's lyrics were used by the British Navy in the 17th century. Mm -hmm. The British cabin boys would climb to the highest point on the ship, you know, the crow's nest. They would be on the lookout for enemy ships or whatever. And the crow's nest has also been called the cradle or the treetop. So the front of the ship is called the bow. And when the wind blows, the cradle, referring to the entire ship, the crow's nest will rock as well. So the explanation definitely makes sense to me, right? I mean, that, that part was clear. It's interesting, you know, musically, people recognize the power of children's songs, specifically the melodies of these songs. And that's why they've been sampled and put to use in the way of selling records for years. For example, Sean Mullins had his only number one hit with his song Lullaby in 1998. And that chorus specifically uses the rockabye line. So it's kind of a downer in its own right about a depressed girl dreaming of a life that's not her own. And though I guess the chorus, it paints a slightly brighter picture. Yeah, it's sort of weird, right? Like, it's just sort of this depressing tale, and then it's like, ah, 
Everything's going to be all right. Rockabye. It's all good. <laughs> Whatever. Well, another example that comes to mind is Eminem's use of the children's song, Hush Little Baby, for his song, Mockingbird, off of his encore album in 2004. Hush Little Baby is believed to have originated in the southern U.S., and no one specifically knows who wrote it, but the message is clear. The song's purpose is to soothe a crying baby by offering presents. Because that's that's what you do. That's what we do, right? That's what we do. So another note to parents. If you want your child to grow up to act like Veruca Salt from Willy Wonka, then this song is for you. All right. I'm a little little rusty on my, my Wonka trivia here. Which one was Veruca again? Veruca was the rich girl. that She's the one that sang, you know what? I'm not, I'm, let me sing this song here real quick because I oh. love this song. Oh, oh boy. <laughs> I want the world. I want the whole world. I want to lock it all up in my pocket. It's my bar of chocolate. Give it to me. Wow. Now. You don't remember that? I'm just wondering why this is like your favorite song. <laughs> <laughs> like, is this, is this Dude, one close to home, Tom? She <laughs> sang that song with so much fervor in her heart. <laughs> fervor. That was, the, that was the day that that word was introduced to me. Fervor. Thank you. you ha- look it up on YouTube. <laughs> that woman, is, that young lady is singing her heart out. She really wanted it. Yeah, that's awesome. But anyway, it just also happens to be the name of an alternative rock band from Chicago, right, that started in 93 and is still rocking. So Veruca Salt's out there doing their thing. I'm going to leave one of their songs called Volcano Girls on the playlist for this episode for anyone that's interested in checking them out. I remember Veruca Salt. They had that song Seether. Remember that back in the day? That was was a good one. We'll throw that on the playlist too. All right, Tom, here's a random question for you. Please. How do you like your eggs? Hmm, I can eat them here, I can eat them there, (laughs) I can eat them any... Okay, or you being serious. Okay, so I can eat them a number of ways, but nothing beats a well-made omelet. Hmm, okay. Well, in order to make an omelet, you got to break a few eggs, right? This is true. uh, Which brings us to our next crime. (laughs) Do you remember a cat by the name of Humpty Dumpty? Do I? Yeah. Well, this poor dude fell off a wall, basically died on the scene, right? <laughs> right? As the medics weren't able to resuscitate him. Again, very suspicious. Uh, very, very. So, th- yeah. Yeah. So many more questions. More questions. <laughs> so, here's the interesting thing about this particular nursery rhyme. Besides, once again, featuring rather dark subject matter, mm-hmm. it's about this like odd anthropomorphic egg character, which I've never really quite understood. So, do you, you have any insight for us? Well, There's some interesting theories about Humpty Dumpty's origin, right? But no one is really sure where it really came from. The first published version showed up in 1797 with some slightly different lyrics. So check this out. Humpty Dumpty sat on a wall. Humpty Dumpty had a great fall. Four score men and four score more could not make Humpty Dumpty where he was before. Now that's a lot of people. Four score, four score, and another four score. score. Yeah, so wait, you don't need that many. Twenty, right? So that's eighty. So we got one hundred and sixty people there. Some terrible doctors, man. Some terrible doctors. You know, this is the classic: too many cooks in the kitchen. I think. Oh, for sure, for sure. Man, all right. So it's it's basically the same gist as the version that we all know, which but it just substitutes the last couple of lines with all the king's horses and all the king's men couldn't put Humpty together again, but. Note how neither mentioned the fact that Humpty's an egg. So where does that come from? Yeah, you're, you're right. So one of the most common theories is that Humpty Dumpty was originally published as a riddle, with egg being the answer to the riddle. Uh, but, you know, so okay. That, that kind of makes sense, right, right? That kind of makes sense. 
But there's another story that Humpty is actually a cannon. Whoa. With, with, right? <laughs> I didn't see that one coming. <laughs> so back to Chucky. So, right. <laughs> so Humpty's actually a cannon with origins going back to 1648 and the English Civil War. Yeah, you know, I kind of like this one. So the story goes basically that there's a cannon, right? It's a war going on. There's a cannon sitting on a wall. And for whatever reason, they named the cannon Humpty Dumpty. Why? I, I'm not sure. <laughs> it would not be my first pick for naming a cannon. I'd like... Or know, anything. Or anything, right? <laughs> like, something a little more... Like, especially a cannon, right? You want to call it, like, Doombringer or Run Back Home to Mama oh, or what? something, you know? Like, <laughs> like, like, befitting a cannon. Bring out the cannons! No, not that one. Go get Run Back Home to Mama. <laughs> <laughs> Right. Golly. Okay. I see. Yeah, it works. It has a certain ring to it. <laughs> well, Humpty the Cannon was struck by a shot from the parliamentarians and fell off the wall. So the royalists, aka all the king's men, tried to raise the cannon back up to use in the battle, but couldn't do it. They couldn't put it back together again. All right. So that is a fantastic story. And it even showed up in the Colchester, England tourist board website. Mm-hmm. It's like got all this historical significance, right? right like this, right. this very vivid picture. But it's also total bunk. Ugh. Yeah, it was made up in the mid-50s as part of this This guy was writing some articles. And he, so he did this whole spoof of nursery rhyme histories. And somehow this particular one managed to fool some academics and become urban legend. So what you're telling me is that we have a classic case of fake news. Is that what you're telling me? That is exactly what I'm saying, yes. And all of this can't help but remind me of another Humpty that pulled off a fun little ruse for many years. Mm. Yep. And I know you know where I'm going with this. So, oh, yeah, I know. So, so I definitely the, know. The group Digital Underground not only helped launch the career of Tupac, one of its founding members was a rapper by the name of Shock G. Yeah. So many of our listeners know him better by his alter ego, Humpty Hump. And I, I'm wondering if we're going to reveal some stuff that some people still don't know, Tove, right? Listen, listen, let, let me tell you this. When this finally was revealed to me, this spoiler alert, it literally crushed me. Okay, oh, seriously? <laughs> literally, literally crushed me. Like, my best friend Brandon told me, like, you know they're the same person, right? I'm like, no. How did he know? <sighs> Dude, I have no idea. I have no all right, idea. Whoa, 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 all right, we're getting ahead of ourselves. So, we are. Yeah. So much like the canon on the wall story, the Humpty Hump character was both pure genius and completely fabricated. So in this case, Humpty was the invention of Gregory Jacobs, a.k.a. Shock G., How's this for a fictionalized backstory? So Humpty Hump was allegedly born Edward Ellington Humphrey III and was lead singer for Smooth Eddie and the Humpers Mm. Mm -hmm. (laughs) until a freak kitchen accident with a deep fryer burned his nose and he became a rapper instead. Wow. Again, we're we're a little dark here. And, And you know what? Somehow, like, nobody caught on to the fact that this was a made up story. Edward Ellington Humphrey. The third. The third. That means there was two other dudes. <laughs> okay. <laughs> two other dudes. Makes it more, more believable. Two yeah. other dudes that had children. Right. Right. And, and the, the woman, the mother of the child, okay, <laughs> that name. When you just do the initials alone, it says, eh. Right? Yeah. <laughs> like, or that's e. a mistake. Right? right? <laughs> the e third. Three. I don't know. Yeah. God. 
You know, I tell we are a very gullible public. So you know I what? The next, the next I you know, believed it, Joe. That's what yeah. I'm trying to say. I'm yeah. one of them. I, I am too. Oh it's God. crazy. It's like it's like the next thing I know, you're going to start telling me that people believe a global pandemic is just a government <laughs> conspiracy or a hoax or something, right? Keep like, going. <laughs> oh, my heaven. Oh, my heaven. So about that, Humpty Hump was an over-the-top persona complete with cartoonish outfits and a pair of Groucho Marx glasses and a nose disguise. And he even had his own dance. <laughs> that was good, dude. That was, that was really good timing. That was really good timing. Digital Underground released The Humpty Dance in 1990, and it hit number one on the rap singles charts, as well as number 11 on the Billboard Hot 100. But all of that newfound popularity also caused some issues with live performances. Yeah, so Chuck G was working real hard to keep up the illusion that Humpty was a real person. Earl Humphrey believe it or not, is even listed as having a songwriting credit. So, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. like, that's awesome. It works really well, <laughs> except when both Shock and Humpty have to be on stage at the same time. Or you can't cash those checks. Well, this sounds like a, a perfect time for a stunt double, right? Uh-huh. I mean, if there's ever was a need for a stunt double on stage, this would, this would be, be it. it. Yeah, so... Thankfully, there were three others that actually stepped in to play the Humpty character at shows and at live events. Let me guess, could it have been the first the and first the second? <laughs> Edward Ellington Humphreys? Could it have been those guys? <laughs> I'm sorry, go ahead. No, sir. Uh, it was, well, close. I mean, it was actually Shock's little brother, Kent, an artist by the name of Michael Webster, and the video rep for Tommy Boy Records at the time, Rod Houston. So one of them would either play Shock or Humpty, depending on which was needed. And and they even did photo shoots. That's crazy. So for a few years, there was a promo photo of Digital Underground in which Webster is actually playing Humpty's pose for the photo, which, you know, this begs the question, Tobe, if you had to have a stunt double, who's going to play you? Who's going to play you on TV? That's a really good question. You know what? If I had my way, <laughs> oh, okay. Idris Elba all well, day. <laughs> yeah, uh, if I had my way, I, I, I'd be right in line with you there, Bob. Oh, man. So this whole Humpty thing, man, this is, a, this is a fun bit, right? And not only does the song The Humpty Dance owe a debt of gratitude to George Clinton and Parliament, since, look, that's where all the samples came from, mm-hmm. but the whole invention of this character owes a debt to George Clinton as well. Yeah, you're right. So here's what Shakji had to say about the inspiration and creation for Humpty. George Clinton used to use his anonymousness to keep paparazzi and record people off of him when he didn't want to answer to them. So people used to wonder, like, which one is George Clinton? He's either Star Child or Sir Nose. You never really got a good look at him. Then I started realizing how lucky I was to have this band member who doesn't complain, who I don't get the extra plane ticket for and is always in the studio anytime I need him, who I can pay but keep his money. So on paper, we got to split this four ways. Tupac Shakur, Money B, G. Jacobs, E. Humphrey, because Humpty's verse counted. It mattered. You got paid That's for beautiful. It. You got paid oh, yeah. for a fictional character. This is amazing. You I do double it. the work, you get double the pay. This is genius. <laughs> Well, musically, the Humpty Dance has quite a legacy as well. The drum track for the song is a mashup of Sing a Simple Song by Sly and the Family Stone, as well as Theme from the Black Hole and Let's Play House from Parliament. 
The resulting beat has become one of the most heavily sampled hip-hop tracks with over 140 songs using it, including Blow Your Mind from Redman, Mama Said Knock You Out by LL Cool J, Return of the Mac by Mark Morrison, Stop What You're Doing by Apathy, and even the Spice Girls for If You Can't Dance. Well, with all of those royalty checks, I bet Humpty could pay some more of the King's men to put him back together again. Or at least have someone take a look at that nose. <laughs> in the <laughs> yes. very least, right? The very least. That, yeah. And stay away from fryers in the kitchen. A- yes, please. Please do that. Well, my friend, we could certainly continue down this path. I mean, we haven't even gotten to Peter, Peter, Pumpkin Eater, or the old woman who lived in a shoe. But alas, we are out of time. So can you tell the good people what all we covered today? Well, we took a look at the dark, pseudo-hidden meanings of a few children's songs, including Pop Goes the Weasel, It's Raining, It's Pouring, Rockabye Baby, and Humpty Dumpty. We connected the dots to songs like Eminem's Mockingbird and Digital Underground's Humpty Dance. Two more songs that should terrify children everywhere. Well, (laughs) thanks again for joining us on this crazy journey. And be sure to check out the playlist for this episode on Spotify and Apple Music. Just do a search for Riffs on Riffs. While you're at it, please leave us a review on whatever platform you listen to. It just might help someone else stumble upon our witty banter and bad puns. <laughs> Finally, be sure to dialogue with us on social, at Riffs on Riffs. We post artist did you knows, music-related articles, and of course, all things Riffs to keep you in the know. As always, thanks for listening, and we'll catch you next time for Riffs on Riffs. Keep listening. Huzzah! Thanks for listening to Riffs on Riffs. If you've enjoyed today's episode, please leave us a review on your Apple Podcast app. Riffs on Riffs is a production of Evergreen Podcasts. A special thanks to executive producers, Joan Andrews and Michael D'Aloya. Producer, audio engineer, Eric Coltnow. And assistant producer, Declan Roars. You can find Riffs on Riffs anywhere and everywhere you listen to your favorite podcasts or at evergreenpodcast.com. I'm Toby Braswell. And I'm your co-host, Joe Watson. Thank you for listening to Riffs on Riffs. Hey, what's up? My name's Lurk, and I'm the host of Lamb Goat's Van Flip Podcast. Every week, I have in-depth conversations with bands from all over the scene, big and small. We also like to keep our finger on the pulse and showcase up-and-coming bands on the show as well. So come check out Lamb Goat's Van Flip Podcast. This podcast was produced with the support of the Ohio Motion Picture Tax Credit and in partnership with the Ohio Development Services Agency.